0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Tomorrow is July 4th, where we celebrate the independence of our nation. It will be filled with parades, barbecue, ball games, fireworks, family, friends. Sometimes there's even fireworks among family and friends. Uh, but it'll be a big day. It'll be a great celebration. 240 years as a nation. But every time you come to a July 4th, you not only celebrate the freedoms, even as we have recognized those who are willing to put their life on the line for our country, but we also use it as a time of reflection and introspection to where you ask yourself, well, well how are we doing? You see, there was an historian in the late 18th century who had studied the civilizations of all the world throughout history. And in his study, he came up and said, the average age for a civilization to exist is 200 years. Average age of a civilization to exist is 200 years. We're 240 years old. So we're just a tad beyond that. Well, there was another historian from Oxford, Rick, not Oxford, Alabama, but Oxford, England, and um, Arnold Toynbee. And Toynbee made this statement, civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. Civilizations die by suicide, not from murder. What they mean by that is that nations die from within, and they die from the inside, not from outside forces. Now, outside forces may come in and be the final word, but the reason they were able to come in is because of what was going on on the inside and that nations would die on the inside first. So when we take a look at our nation and begin to see that we're 240 years of age, most civilizations go about 200 years, when we understand the words from Toynbee is that citizens, that nations really die from the inside then you just need to take an honest look at where we are as America. And what we see is we see evidences daily of an erosion of our society and the slow destruction of our Judeo-Christian civilization. Just some examples. Our government leaders from the top down seem to be making decisions that are crippling us economically and stripping away incentives to maintain the strong biblical work ethic that made this country great. Our government leaders seem more concerned with enacting laws that are based on empathy rather than the Constitution, which has governed us since 1789. Government leaders believe that social engineering of our military is more important than a strong fighting force equipped to protect our country and win the wars which we are involved. Terrorism is on the increase here and abroad, yet we are more concerned with allowing boys to use girls' restrooms and vice versa. Abortion clinics are selling baby parts, and our government and courts are doing little to prevent this moral atrocity. There's a continued push to destroy the traditional family, and marriage laws have already been rewritten and no longer restricting marriage to a man and a woman. And the list could go on and on and on. But what you gain just from that small list and then additional list are the basic tenets of the Judeo-Christian teachings that form the bedrock foundation of our nation are being systematically dismantled. The Judeo-Christian civilization, if we have known it, is being destroyed. I just finished reading a book that was entitled, God and Churchill, How the Great Leader's Sense of Divine Destiny Changed His Troubled World and Offers Hope for Ours. It was a fascinating book about Winston Churchill's leadership and the correlations of Europe in the 1930s and the rise of Adolf Hitler and our world today. Let me just quote some passages from this book. He says, while the cultural elites aided by the national press are busy destroying the foundations of the civilization that made us the greatest nation in history, Proponents of other worldviews and belief systems across the globe are zealously advancing their own causes and are committed to spreading their ideology to every nation, just as Hitler was in the 1930s. We face once again the issues of internal decay and a fierce set of external adversaries who are fueled by ideology. That at the very moment, Christian democracies seem rudderless in a sea of doubt and ambiguity. And he says, as we forget who we are and where we've come from, I'm going to stop right there for just a moment and just intersperse my own opinion here. Um, I feel sorry for our younger generation because you're really not being taught history. Oftentimes in the schools, what you're being taught is a revisionist of history to where they take out really the Christian underpinnings of who we are as a nation. And you've gotten such politically correct uh, type stuff that it's just hard if you understand really the history we have. And so when the statement is made, as we forget who we are and where we've come from, the way we forget that is we forget to teach it. We stop teaching it, and we change what it means. And he says, when this happens, a great void is being carved out in the soul of the West and many other belief systems are seeking to fill the vacuum. That's pretty strong. What is happening is the soul of our nation is being carved out. And whenever you carve out, that means there's a vacuum there. And something's going to fill that vacuum. And there are other belief systems, other ideologies that are coming in to try to fill that vacuum in our nation. And to take an ideology, to take a soul of a nation that has been responsible for 240 years of the greatest prosperity and the greatest growth and technological advances known in the history of man, and to take that and remove that and then let other belief structures come in that have failed over 5,000 years of recorded history, that's what's taking place. And so what do we do? Well, you know, each night we watch the news And probably halfway through it, you're throwing your remote at the TV or you're hollering or screaming or you're getting depressed and say, quickly, get to Andy Griffith, uh, change the station. And we just feel hopeless and we just feel powerless. So what do we do? Well, what we do is what people have done throughout the ages. And that is you turn to the Word of God. And as a people and as believers, that should be the first thing that we turn to is what God's Word says. And so you come to 2 Chronicles, and Second 2 Chronicles 7 is an oft-used verse whenever you come to a July 4th, but I want to put it into context, so maybe we can get a better understanding as to what is going on. There was King David, and Israel rode to, rose to prominence. When he stepped away, there was Solomon, his son, and it got even greater prominence. And God blessed Solomon. And he gave him wisdom, and he gave him riches and prosperity. And he says, I want you to be the one to build my temple. And so for seven years, Solomon built the temple. And in chapters 3, 4, and 5 in Second Chronicles, it describes how the temple was built in all of its furnishings. And then when you get to chapter 6, the majority of that chapter is a prayer of dedication that Solomon made. And he prayed for that temple. Then you come to chapter 7. And chapter 7 talks about the celebration they had. It talked about the feast that they had. It was the feast of the tabernacle. They had sacrifices. And then they ended with a solemn assembly of people on their faces praying to God. And then you get to verse 10. And I want you to look. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 10. And this is at the very end, it says, and on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Everybody showed up for the big dedication And after they finished the dedication, they walked away and had joy in their hearts. And they were glad. And what were they glad about? They were glad because their leaders, David, Solomon, had been blessed by the God. And they were thankful for the prosperity that God had poured out on them and to Israel and its people. So everyone is feeling good. I mean, things are going great. Our leaders are right there where God wants them to be. We're being blessed. I mean, God's just pouring out blessings over and over on us. And we are joyful and glad of heart. And everything's going good. Hey, but the hits just keep coming. Look in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. There were two building projects that he had. One was the temple and the other was his house or palace that he had. It took seven years to build the temple and 13 years to build his house, okay? Total of 20 years of construction projects. And so when you get to verse 11, he says, thus he finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. So all of this was complete. Then look what he says. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Is there anyone here in construction who has ever built something that was totally 100% successfully accomplished just like you wanted it? No. He did. In the temple and in his house. 20 years of building projects. He says, Everything that I've done, everything that I've attempted has been successfully accomplished. And then look at verse 12. It just keeps getting better. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. The God of creation has said, I've chosen this place you've built to be my place, and it'll be a place of sacrifice. Let's just go home and rejoice. I'm telling you, this is great. People are joyful, hearts are glad, prosperity is raining left and right. This is good. And Lord, thank you for that word. But before you roll over and go back to sleep, Solomon, verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Now, if that's not a Debbie Downer, I don't really know what is. What's going on? I mean, hold on. I mean, everybody's joyful, glad of heart. We got prosperity. Everybody's happy. This is good. I did the buildings, accomplished exactly what I wanted. Even you, Lord, said, it's so good. I'm ready to put my spirit right here. What's this thing about shutting up the heavens and the locusts and the pestilence and all of that? Where does this come from? Because you see, God in his sovereignty can already look forward and he says, there's going to come a day. When you guys are going to forget where all this prosperity and where all these blessings came from. And you're going to turn your back on me. And I just want to let you know that when that day comes, I'm going to shut up the heavens from rains. I'm going to send the locusts to devour the crops. I'm going to send pestilence onto your people. It's going to happen. And what I want you to know, Solomon, is what you're supposed to do when that happens. You're in the happy time right now. You're in the happy zone. But there's going to come a day when the happy zone is going to be no more. And you got to know what are you going to do about that. And what are God's people to do? Well, if we're realistic today, we are not in a happy zone in our country. And so the question is, is what are we supposed to do? And this is exactly what he told Solomon. And so what we're going to talk about today He's talking about our nation, and I'm going to say something about America, say something about us, and then say something about God right out of this passage. We are a nation that's been built on Christian values that's enjoyed the greatest prosperity of any nation in history. But today we are a nation who is turning our backs on God, trying to remove him from the public square, the classroom, the workplace, and the military. And as we try to do that, what is our response? Let me give you three words. Number one is this. America is not guaranteed a pass because of our past. America is not guaranteed a pass because of our past. Just because we were founded on Christian principles does not mean that God will not pour out his judgment on us, nor will he turn his face from us. God does not need America. America needs God. Now, I think, and this is just this is kind of, this is just keeps coming up to me, is that we're proud to be an American. I'm proud to be an American. And I think that we should be the world leader. And, uh, and whenever someone gets elected to be president, what do they say? You are the what? Leader of the free world. All right. We are to take positions of leadership. And our country needs to do that. And we and that's good, and we need to have pride in that. But I think as a believer, what happens is, is when we say our country needs to take leadership in those areas, we also think that we've taken leadership, in essence, in the sovereignty of God. And that we've taken leadership in God's plans being worked. And that God needs America. Because, you see, God says that, that the gospel will be shared with every people group, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will hear the message of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, Jesus Christ himself will come back for the second coming to gather up his church and then final judgments take place and on and on. And we look at ourselves as saying, we're the instrument to make that happen. And so we began to sit back and get kind of prideful at times and say, poor God, he's up in heaven wringing his hands and say, oh my gosh, if America falls through the crack, how am I going to get this worked out? Let me tell you folks, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says, God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He set us up as a nation. If he wants to take us down, he can take us down. And guess what? His plan will still be worked out. It's just that someone else gets that joy of, of that. Africa, there's some amazing things going on over there. Some fires of evangelism that are burning there. China, what's happening over there is incredible. Latin America, They are projected to be the number one missionary sending force in the years to come. Because Latin Americans can get into any country that that we're restricted from getting into. It's amazing. And you can begin to see this groundswell of, of, of them beginning to get global vision to know that they can leave a Latin American country and they can go into Middle Eastern country and others into the 1040 window easier than we can. Oh, no. There are others that are ready to step up. And so what we need to understand is that we're not guaranteed a pass because of our past. Just because we say we've been uh, founded on Christian principles, that that God up there will definitely not have judgment on us. If you think that, and I can't convince you, let God's word convince you. I want you to look at verses 19. In verse 19 through 22, look what he says. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments, he's talking to Solomon here that I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated from my name, I will cast out of my sight. I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Ooh. You're not going to be this great nation. You're going to be a proverb and a byword. Byword. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Now, guys, we just got to be honest. If God will do that with his chosen people of Israel, do you not think he would do that to America? If we do the same thing? Turn aside, forsake my statutes and my commandments before I, I've set before you and begin to worship other gods? Yeah. And there is nothing that sets us apart as so special that God would treat us any differently. What we need to understand is we have an amazing privilege and opportunity to be the country that is truly a beacon of light for the world that can be used by God to take the gospel to reach every people group with the gospel. We get to do that. We have everything we need. We have the technology. We have the resources. We have the people. We've got the money. We've got everything there is to do that, folks. And God has set us up for that. But if we don't want to do that... And we choose not to do that and say, oh no, I'd rather worship other gods and I don't really want to put my investment there. Guess what? God's plans are not going to change. He just says, I'm still going to see the gospel get to everyone else. It's just, it won't be you. It'll be someone else. And they're going to get that opportunity to do that. And not only do you lose that responsibility, you also lose the blessings that come along with it. And he says, I'll just turn those and I'll just go somewhere else to be able to do that. We can either choose to be a part of advancing God's kingdom and be in the middle of what he's doing and receive the benefits of following him and his commands, or we can turn, forsake his statutes and commands. We can serve other gods of sensuality, selfishness, materialism, and hedonism and see what happens from there. For our country, we don't get a pass just because of our past. You say, wow. So what do we do? Well, that's where the second point, that's believers. That's us. Believers are to prepare their lives and pray for spiritual awakening. Prepare their lives and pray for spiritual awakening. What is interesting here is when he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or, to, or send pestilence among my people you need to go out and run a good political campaign to get my people elected because then they will be, begin to make the changes. You know, he didn't say that. You need to pass uh, legislation. You need to get some folks on the Supreme Court that understand what the Constitution is. You know, all those kind of things. You know, he didn't, he, didn't say, he didn't say that. Now, hopefully those things can happen, but he says, if my people who are called by my name, that nails it down right there, that's us. Believers, if you've made a decision for Christ, you're a part of God's family. He says, if my people who are called by my name, there's nothing in verse 14 that says those people that are being lawless and worshiping and, and doing things outside that are outside the family here that are living godless lives, he's not talking about them. He's talking about believers, those who are part of the family, his people. If my people who are called by my name he says, if believers, those who are, as Jesus says, the light of the world. If we who are the light of the world, we need to shine. And he says, when the, when the cares of the world and the sins of the world begin to just be a commonplace part of our lives, that all of a sudden the darkness begins to overcome the light. And he says, we need to let that light shine. God blesses a nation because of its prayers and not its power. God blesses a nation because of its character and not its commerce. God blesses a nation because of its trust in him and not our technology. And God blesses a nation because of the fear of the Lord and not its fear of man. What God is looking for is holy people through whom he can work to reveal himself to a watching world. He needs clean vessels You see, you don't have revival by seeking revival. You have revival by first seeking God. And too often we talk about and say, we just need revival. We need a spiritual awakening. And I agree with you on that. But listen, folks, let's don't just sit there and say, hey, we need a spiritual awakening. What we need is we need to first seek God. And when we seek God then all of a sudden that revival begins to take place in our lives. And then all of a sudden unregenerate people begin to see what's happening in our lives. And then you begin to see this huge spiritual awakening on there. It starts with a personal intimate walk with the Lord. And so what he's telling Solomon to do is when those days come, I need for my people who are called by my name to do four things for us. Number one, he says, is humble yourself. Humble yourself. That means to subdue your pride and recognize your dependence on God. If my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, a willing acknowledgement of your need for God's mercy and for God's grace. We're good in America to teach about independence, and I like that. I like to be, you know, whether we self, uh, whether they call it self-made man or whatever. Which I know there's a lot of things that goes into a person becoming a man or being a strong woman, but it, it you know, talks about, you know, we want to be independent. We want to, we want to work hard, and, and sometimes we are too self-sufficient. We need to understand that we need to be totally dependent on God, and so when it says you humble yourselves, it means that each one of us says, I need to subdue my pride and recognize a total dependence on God. And, you know, from God's standpoint, he may have us right where he wants us. And that is when we look at our nation and look at the direction we're going, we're saying, God, I don't know how this can work out. All I know to do is to come to you. And he says, good, that's what needs to happen. He says, so the very first thing that your people knew is you need to humble yourself, and then second is to pray. And when you say pray, that means to acknowledge sin and to plead for God's mercy. You acknowledge the sin that's in your life, and then you plead for God's mercy. And say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and have mercy on our nation. And I pray you remove your judgment on myself and for our nation. If you do any type of study on spiritual awakening, it always preceded by a huge prayer movement where people are praying and lifting up God. And they're lifting up, they're lifting up His name, and they're praying, and they're asking for there to be forgiveness in their hearts. And there were two great awakenings in the United States over our history, and both of those have been preceded by prayer. There've other been smaller breakouts of awakening; it's always been started by prayer. The very first uh, great revival, I guess, in the New Testament was through prayer. Jesus ascended to heaven. The apostles, they came together and they prayed for 10 days and into praying for 10 days, Holy Spirit came upon them. They stood up, preached a sermon, 3,000 people were saved and boom, the church was jettisoned. Prayer is where it all begins. That's very interesting is that, uh, and you probably won't get this in your history books, but our founding fathers sensed the need for humility and prayer in view of the monumental struggle when we were engaged with Britain. And so the First Continental Congress called for a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer throughout the colonies on July 20th, 1775. This is when the war first broke out against Britain. And when the war first broke out, they were calling for the whole nation to come together, all the colonies, to come together and to pray. James Warren wrote Samuel Adams, and he says, three millions of people on their knees at once, supplicating the aid of heaven is a striking circumstance and a very singular one in America. May the blessings of heaven follow in answer to our prayers. Wow. First Continental Congress saying, there needs to be a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer because we understand that it's only through God that we're going to be able to survive as a nation. So he says, humble yourself, pray, seek God's face seek God's face. Whenever you see in the scriptures where you seek God's face, it's a phrase used in desperate situation in which God is the only possible hope for deliverance. And so he's telling Solomon, these are desperate times. You need to call on all the people, humble themselves to pray, to seek my face, to seek my face, to seek my presence to be the motivation, the purpose for every activity of life is to where we come before God and say, you are my source. You are my strength. I want to seek your face, not just have a little five minute devotion. I want to seek your face daily. And we come to you on our knees, falling before you and saying, God, we need you. I need you in my life. We need you in our country. And then the last thing he says is to turn from your wicked ways. A complete change of direction away from sin and toward God. So Solomon, when the rain stops coming and the locusts are coming on the fields and pestilences with everyone else, has hit all the people, this is what you want to do. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. That's what he's called to do. Now folks, every one of us can do this. And where we may feel powerless at times, whether it be in a ballot box or anything else, we can do exactly what God told us to do. And we can humble ourselves, we can pray, we can seek his face, we can turn from our wicked ways. You say, well, when all that happens, what will happen? That's the final word, that's God. (laughs) And that is that God responds to the prayers of faithful believers. At the end of verse 14, he says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then I will do this. In God's response, he says three things. Just lays it out here. He says, I will hear your prayers. I will forgive your sins. And I will hear your land. That means withdraw judgment. And there will be a powerful movement of God's spirit. There's a promise of scripture. That if we will do that and we will pray, then he will hear our prayers. And then forgive our sins, heal our land. And I would think that most everyone here says, God, we need some healing to take place in our land. Then I would say we need to do exactly what God says here. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. And look what he says in verse 15. He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that's made in this place. Okay, now, Now I'm going to. Now my ears are open, eyes are attentive, I'm all over this. And so what does this mean? It means the healing of our nation is dependent on a repentant attitude of the believers here in our nation. Now what this does, and it's a very uncomfortable verse... Because what it does is it keeps us from pointing fingers at everybody else out there and saying it's their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault. When actually, what God is saying is that you need to turn it inward and say, if there are things going on that you're disappointed in and it's not going the way it needs to go, guess what? It starts with us. And we need to pray and be before our Father and get our lives right. We are a kingdom of priests, we are the light of the world. And so that light needs to be shining. And he says, let's start right here at the house of the Lord. Let's start right here in his house that was built for prayer. And I want you to think about this. Our hope is that a supernatural... Visit of God would take place in our country. Envision what it would be if God could get with His people and His people would humble themselves and ask for healing for our land. Picture what it'd be like for millions of people all over the land praying for His will to be done in our lives. Imagine a country where His name is praised openly without fear or hindrance and then picture His spirit moving in the lives of unsaved family members, friends, and co workers and begin to see this mighty move of God. He can happen. And today, July 3rd. There are churches all over our nation that are participating in what is entitled Call to Fall. A call to fall. A call to fall on our knees before Him. A call to humble ourselves and to pray for ourselves and for our nation. And there's nothing I can think of on our nation's 240th birthday that would be more in keeping with our founding fathers and more in keeping with what God's word says and that is that we fall on our knees and pray. And that's how we're going to come to the close of our service is I'm gonna ask every one of us in here in just a moment if you're physically able to go to your knees and to pray. For some of you, you may wanna come and just kneel right here at the altar. For others, you can kneel at the pew. You can kneel in the aisles. But if you're physically able, I'd love for us to humble ourselves and to go to our knees and to pray. And then as we begin this time of prayer, I would like for you just to pray out loud. You may want to, you may be in a group of people and y'all can pray together. You just may be by yourself, just lifting up a prayer, but pray for yourself and pray for our country. And if we're really serious about this or really think that, you know, America has a great purpose that we feel like that God wants us to carry out, then we need to get serious about praying and get our lives right and then pray for our country and pray for the decisions that are being made and that again, we can honor and praise his name. So we're gonna ha- I'm gonna ask you to do that. And I ask you to get in that position, and then just going to give you time to pray. And then after a few minutes, then I'm going to voice a corporate prayer for us as we close out that time and then move into the closing parts of our service. So I'm going to ask you at this point uh, for people to come. Some may want to kneel here at the front. I'm just going to kneel here and uh, kneel at the pew or come to the front, and and let's get before our Father and ask us to begin praying And think about what Second Chronicles seven fourteen has said. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So let us all in one, let's just begin pray to our Lord. church, to be on our knees and on our face before you, humbling ourselves, knowing, Lord, that what is most important is that we as believers, your family, be right in our walk with you. Lord, let July 3rd be a day where it's like a stake in the ground for our individual lives. That we no longer want to be controlled by sinful desires or petty attitudes or bitterness or unforgiveness or anything else, Lord, that, that keeps us from walking in, in step with you. May we be a people that, that see your statutes and commands as pleasing and sweet and desirous. And to follow your word. Because in there is where joy of life is, and that is where we can be in your presence, living a life that you've so designed for us. So help us as believers to be that salt and light that you've called us to be, and that that would cause an awakening to take place across this United States as other believers are falling on their knees and praying that that would happen in their lives. And then, Lord, we pray that as that happens, that it would then spread throughout our nation and we would see people come to know you as Savior and as Lord. And that for our nation, we know that, Lord, we just don't feel like you're finished with us. There's so much opportunity to be used. And, um, Lord, our, our greatest concern is not to be an economic power or a military power, but to be a spiritual power and to be a, a people are truly a light to the world and that we can go. people can go from this place and to go around the world and to especially go to places who've never heard the gospel and be the people that can do that and bring honor and glory to your name. And people could look at America and see that as a place that, that honors and glorifies you. And so, Lord, we start with our lives just as you told Solomon. And our prayer is that we would truly be a people that follow you. And then as that takes place, we pray for our nation. We pray for our elected officials and for the decisions that they make. And they would be decisions that would be made that were in keeping with your will and according to your guidance. May truth and integrity lead the way. And may we follow you in everything that we say and do. And so, Lord, on our knees today, we come before you, seeking your face, Confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, committing to live for you and asking you to use us to be a light in this nation and that you would remove your hand of judgment and that you would bless us. But also, Lord, we pray that you keep your hand on us as long as it's necessary, a hand of judgment in order for us to make that turn. We love you, and we're thankful for your son, Jesus. And pray that we'll live for him every day. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.